Well, I thought about what I would talk about today as I have a week to share with you from God's Word, and what came to me was to talk about lies. You know, there's a lot of lies in our world these days, and what do we do when people around us believe lies? People believe a lot of lies about themselves, about others. They believe lies about money, about sex, about what's important, about what's not important. Lots and lots of things. And if you have been alive for very often, you know that some lives have some very devastating effects on our lives. If you believe a lie about money, you, you, you might end up broke. If you believe a lie about yourself, you might end up arrogant or depressed. Uh, but if you believe a lie about sex, you might end up dead. But when we see someone that we care about, that we love, that's in our family, our, our, our relations, who we know has believed a lie, what's your natural inclination? I mean, you, you want to help. Sometimes it's like, well, you know, I don't want to butt in, but, uh, but you want to help. You want to help them see the truth that they have uh, exchanged for a lie. But today I want to talk about a very specific lie that people have believed, and that is the lie about the most important thing in the world, and that is, who is our God? When I was a youth pastor many moons ago, my senior pastor had a quote that everybody in the church memorized because he said it so often. He said, the most important thing you will ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. Because your and my concept of who that guy in heaven is affects everything that we do, how we do it, how we think through things, it affects everything in our life. So what do you do when someone that you care dearly about is thinking about our God in a way that you know isn't right? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm not talking about, you know, what, what about my friends who see this part of the Bible a little differently or see that detail differently. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who maybe don't believe in God at all. People who believe God is a different person than we think from another religion or a cult. All kinds of various thoughts about God that aren't true, and what do we do about them? And we don't have time, obviously, to go through, you know, if, if your friend's a cult member, you know, here's what you do, and if your friend is from a different religion, here's, and if they're an atheist, here, we're just going to kind of take a step back and think about this and what God says in his word about lies and how to work with people to get them to believe the truth. If I were preaching this sermon 50 years ago, I wouldn't have to have the first point. Because everybody in the audience would have been like, well, duh. Yeah, like, well, you don't have to say that. But, but today, I need to start with something that is very foundational. 
I need to reassure you that it is okay to believe that the Bible has the truth about God and that people who believe otherwise are wrong. Now, that, that's not very politically correct, is it? I mean, it really isn't. It's like, how can you say that? Because we believe God's word, not Mark's word, not your word, not your mom's word, but we believe God's word is true. And because we believe God's word is true, we need to, to really grasp a hold of this thing that says, if someone believes something about God that isn't what the Bible says, then they've believed a lie. They are wrong, and we might have a part in bringing them to the truth. It's kind of like homosexuality, for example. If you don't believe that the Bible says that that lifestyle is wrong, you would never want to come along some somebody who does, and help them think about that, that they have believed a lie. Well, in the same way, if a person has not believed what the Word of God says about God, they're wrong, they have believed a lie, and we might get a chance to help them exchange that lie for the truth. And most of you know this believing a lie is not a new thing. You think back in your Bible, uh, Genesis, third chapter of the Bible, Eve, she believes a lie about who God is and his plan for her and all that, and the serpent gets her to do things because of believing that lie that are wrong and sinful. Jesus later in uh, the New Testament kind of fleshes out, like, let's, let's make sure we understand who that is that's behind these lies. He says in John chapter 8, verses 44, and by the way, all of these verses are either, Lord willing, on the screen or in your bulletin. If you don't want to be turning pages in your Bible, you're welcome to do that. But in John 8, 44, Jesus says he, and he's referring to the devil, was a murderer from the beginning... And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Or other versions say he's speaking his own native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. That's where these things come from. They come from the lies about God and every other lie, come from the pit of hell. They come from Satan trying to confuse us and to get us to believe something just like he did with Eve that isn't true. Jesus also plainly said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, not one of the ways, but I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if you want to believe how people get to the Father, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, a very politically incorrect statement. I thought there were many ways to God, or at least the world would say so. But Jesus says, I don't believe that obviously, but Jesus says there's only one way, and that is through him. We just celebrated at Christmas the baby coming to the manger. Why did he come to the manger? Because he knew 33 years later he was going to the cross. 
And why did he go to the cross? Because you're a jerk and I'm a jerk, and we are separated from God because of our sin, and he died to take that sin away. And if you have trusted God's plan for how you can be right with him, you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior to save you from your sin. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul also helps us understand that people believe lies all the time. He does a dissertation at the beginning of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 25. He makes it clear that what people do is they exchange the truth for a lie. He says they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That we have this this God-shaped vacuum that we're always trying to fill. And if we don't fill it with the truth about joining him and what he's got going for us, we're going to look elsewhere. And Paul says that we exchange the truth about God for a lie and that causes us to worship other things. Back in his day, they worshiped totem poles and Asherah and different kinds of gods all over the place. In our world, people worship themselves or they worship ideals or they worship another person or maybe another god. But Paul says they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then in 2 Timothy 4, he kind of says, so, so how does that process work? How does that lie-truth exchange work? And here's how he puts it. He says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus to preach the word, be ready in and out of season, Use the word to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Why do we get up? Why does Josh get up every Sunday and preach from the word? Why do we preach God's word in the kids' town and all that? Verse 3. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. I love that idea. My ears are itching, so I have to look for something to fill them up. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. Jenny and I all the time talk about how can people believe that? And what the answer really comes out, they want to believe it. And therefore, because they want to believe it, they find someone who's espousing it and they join in with them in believing the lie. And you don't have to go very far or read very long in these days to come across many people that are doing that in, in just so, so many ways. And in our day, it's not very fashionable to talk about truths versus lies, especially in the context of politics or religion. However, God makes it very clear that in the universe he has made, 
There is truth that he has, that his son has revealed, and there are lies that Satan is trying to get us to believe. And unfortunately, we can't believe that these lies and the struggle to stay away from them is something only for them out there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about the people in the church of Corinth, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, she's believed a lie, your thoughts, you who are in the church, will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm afraid for you in Corinth because I've heard that many of you are wandering away and, and, and joining in with other people and believing different lies. So even as a believer, we have to be careful not to let our idea about God, who He is, how He works, His relationship to us, to be twisted and we believe something that is not true. But as we try to understand how God would have us handle those who believe a lie about Him, the first thing we have to believe is the truth about God and how that is connected to His Word. And anyone who believes differently than what God's Word said is wrong. That's all there is to it. We obviously don't understand God perfectly. If you do, let me know because I'm still trying to figure him out. He is God. We'll never figure him out perfectly. But we're staying within the bounds of our understanding in the word of God, of who he is, how he works, and how he works in our lives. So, now that we hopefully believe that there is truth, it's contained in the Word of God, it's the truth about who He is, His relationship to you and I, how He works in this world, what do we do when we run into loved ones, friends, acquaintances who have believed a lie about God? How do we handle our Buddhist neighbor? I have one. How do we handle our cult-following boss? I had one. Not now. <laughs> How do we handle our cousin that doesn't even believe there is a God? I have one. How do we handle our Muslim hairdresser? I don't have one of those. Now we're not talking about other Christians. We're not talking about what do we do with the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Methodists and the President. They believe a little differently. That's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about people who have a totally different idea about who God is and how we handle them. Well, after we embrace that there is truth and that we have it in God's word, what do we do with these people? How do we work with them? Well, the first thing that I thought of is what I've been told and what I've told many people is if you have a person like that in your life, it would be really good to get educated about what they 
believe. Instead of grabbing your Bible and whacking them over the head with it, we could do well to ask questions. So what do you believe? I was in my Buddhist neighbor's house one time and he had a dragon on the mantle. And I just asked him, I said, so what does the dragon represent? I, I didn't know. He didn't know either. But your neighbor or your friend who believes very differently about God may have some clear understanding, at least in their mind, about what they believe and why they believe it. And it, before you start trying to help them understand the truth from God's word, it'd be good to get educated about what they believe. You'll understand what they believe and you'll be able to interact in a way that's going to be a lot easier as you do that. You could study up on it, get a book, uh, Google it. You could certainly Google it. You can ask them questions. Everybody loves to be asked questions. I mean, don't you love it when somebody, hey, what, what do you do? You know, what do you believe? What do you do? Everybody loves to talk about their selves and, and their beliefs and stuff like that. They may not even totally know. I had a boss one time who was a Mormon, and he told me something. I, I was asking him questions, and he told me something about Jesus and Satan. And I said, well, Carl, I read something that says that you believe this about Jesus and Satan. And he said, no, we don't believe that. And I'm like, dude, I think you do. I think the Mormon religion does believe that. He calls up the head dude of his church. They don't have pastors in their church, but they have leaders and elders and stuff. He calls them up, and it was the most interesting telephone call because after about five minutes of arguing on the phone, he got off and he said, well, I guess we do believe that, don't we? Your neighbor may not even know, but as you get to understand their religion or their lack of religion and why it is and what it, you're going to be able to interact with them better. But not only will you understand them, it's going to give you a starting place as you work to understand. You'll understand what I would call the common ground that you have with them to start a conversation going. So a friend of mine named Jeff years ago started a ministry to those who believe in Allah and Islam. And the very first thing he did is he started going around and asking everyone that he could find who was part of Islam questions. And he started reading the books. And he started really trying to understand what do they believe about God and, and how is that different from what I believe the Word of God says. And I remember, as I talked to him, his conclusion after weeks and weeks of study was, you know, there's a lot of commonality between us. They believe, they believe in Abraham. They believe in Jesus. They believe very differently about Jesus. But they, and he 
said it was amazing to him how much commonality we had. And he said what it did for him was it gave him a starting point. Hey, my understanding of God and your understanding of God, we have this in common. Isn't that neat? But I think, and then you can start talking about some of the differences. Paul did this. I don't remember if you think of how Paul did his ministry, but most of the time as he was on his missionary journeys, he was talking to either Jews or Gentiles. We called them pagans back then. People that you know believed in totem poles and the, the Greek gods and stuff like that. And he got to Corinth. And he looks in Corinth and he says, Oh my word, I walk around this city and, and it's just filled with idols all over the different gods, this god, that god. And then he found one. It said, to the unknown God. It's like they were covering their bases. You know, we've got 37 of them, but we want to make sure if we missed one, we're not going to get in trouble with him or her. So they had to the unknown God. And so, in Acts chapter 17, we start reading in verse 22, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he says, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this is what I want to proclaim to you. So he starts by kind of looking at what do they believe and how do they understand God. And he's like, here's a, 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 a jumping off point that I could grab onto. You, you've got an understanding of there's some God that you don't know yet. Let me tell you about him. And he goes off and most of the people in Athens didn't believe, but it said many of them looked at him and it's like, we we got to hear from this guy again. This is really interesting. With my Mormon boss, I remember thinking through, so what do the Mormons believe and have as something really important to them that is common to me? And I knew family was a really big deal to them. And I knew that they did believe in Jesus. They believe wrongly about Jesus, but they do believe that he is the son of God. So I started working with Carl and tried to help him understand that maybe Jesus isn't who he had been taught he was. So I took a common ground and I kind of headed in that direction. So we're going to get educated we're going to kind of look for that common ground that we might have with them, a starting point that's, that's maybe similar. And then I don't want you to forget to pray for these people. Because 
It took me the longest time to really believe this. But most people who don't believe the truth about God, the issue isn't just an intellectual issue. It's, it's not just that they haven't been taught correctly. Now, we are going to try and engage intellectually with them and show them from God's word the truth. And so, I mean, there is an intellectual side to this. But the word of God says that when a person has believed a lie, there is a very, very serious spiritual side to this problem that God has to intervene on. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The natural person or the, per, the person who does not believe in the God of the Bible hasn't trusted in Christ. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so... When I have a person that I am working with at the same time that I'm trying to intellectually connect, I'm also praying, God, would you take away the blinders from their eyes? Would you help them to see the truth about who you are? This isn't just an intellectual problem. This is a spiritual problem. God, I'm begging you to intervene on their behalf and take away the blinders so they can see. I remember so clearly when I was 14 years old, I had been taught, I'd been in church from the day I was born. And I had been shared the gospel so many times and I just smiled and, yep, yep, yep. That's really good, yep, yep. And when I was 14 years old, I went to a concert and they had a, a time when you could kind of come forward and talk to people about And I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I'm a good kid. And I went forward and this man explained the gospel. And it was like I had never heard it before in my life. And it was just like the doors of heaven were opened. And God took the blinders away, and I finally got it. I am a sinner. Oh, my word. And I'm in big trouble because of my sin. <laughs> I had never understood that. And I need Jesus. He's not just the guy in the manger or the guy on the cross. He's my solution. And I embraced Christ that day. And there was not just an intellectual connection there was a spiritual connection of God taking away the blinders and bringing me to Christ. So if you have a neighbor, if you have a friend, if you have somebody that you work with who you know, you know they're, they're just thinking wrong about God, pray for them. Get your spouse to pray for them. Get your prayer partner to pray for them that God would intervene on their behalf and open up their eyes that they would understand the truth. But what a shallow, short-sighted sermon this would be if we stopped here. So 
we're going to really believe there is truth that we can hold on to. It's in the word of God and everything else about God is a lie if it's outside of that. Uh, we can learn about others' beliefs so that we can understand what they believe and what the lies are and have common ground with them. And we're going to pray for them. Okay, let's pray and let's go home. No. We've got to do more than that. We've got to do more than that. We've got to do something. Love is an action. I remember the first time that I was teaching on what compassion was. Compassion means I see a need and I do something about it. You can see somebody who's hungry and go, aww, that's sympathy. Compassion's when you go, aww, and you walk over and you say, hey, let's go to the grocery store. I want to buy you some groceries. And you do something about it. And we could look at our friends and we could pray for them and we could think through how, but we need some action in our lives to be able to intervene in these people that God has brought us next to. I love Jesus' heart for the masses in Matthew 9. Starting in verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless, spiritually harassed, spiritually helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest of people who don't have the truth about God. And notice Jesus doesn't say, you know, pray that God would raise up full-time missionaries. Or, or pray that God would give us lots more pastors. He's talking about praying that God would raise us, all of us, up as we interact with the people that he has brought us intentionally. You don't have to go looking for an unbeliever. You are around them. I guarantee it. At work in your neighborhood, in your family, at the gas station, there are people who do not yet believe in Jesus. And this is happening less, but I still hear it once in a while, and it's a great-hearted concept, but I hear a person said, I sure hope my Uncle Joe will come to church. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, of course not. That would be a great thing if Uncle Joe would come to church. But what I want them to say instead is, I sure hope Uncle Joe comes to Jesus. That's what I want them to say. And coming to church might be a, a great option. I mean, Josh and I, and, and maybe some of you who have been educated theologically, maybe we have a little bit of a of a possibility of reaching Uncle Joe in a technical way or something like that. But normally, God uses just regular old people in regular old interactions, talking about what you believe and what you've learned about God to connect with this person and to help them come to Christ. 
But many of us are like, you know, I, I sure hope somebody else does that. I sure hope somebody else reaches Uncle Joe. And God might just be saying, no, you really, you really can do that. And it's not your job to convert him. It's just your job to come alongside and to help him see. And as a pastor, I've seen three reasons why people struggle with this. Being God's messenger. Being God's person, vessel, for him to open up their heart and their eyes. Number one, I'm afraid I'm going to be rejected. I'm afraid if I talk to Uncle Joe about this, he's going to think I'm a nutcase. He's going to push me off. My friend might not talk to me anymore and all that. Well, that is a possibility. But then I think about, what's the other option? That person spending forever without Jesus. And is it really that big a deal in comparison to their eternal soul that maybe they might reject me in some way, shape, or form or hurt my feelings or, or something like that? And I just try and put it in perspective. I have those same fears. My uncle was one year away from death. I didn't know that. But he was one year away from death until I finally got up the courage to sit him down and to say, Uncle Dick, I didn't say it this way, but you just don't get it. You're all about religion, but you just don't understand that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And that's why Jesus came. And he listened to me and smiled and said, that's nice. Thank you, Mark. Totally dismissed me. Nine months later, three months before he died, I get a phone call from one of his caretakers who was a believer and she and I had talked and she said, are you sitting down? And Uncle Dick came to Christ. Nine months earlier, he blew me off. But when my caretaker talked to him again and he was in the right frame and God opened his eyes and at his funeral I got to preach that, that he was a great guy, and if you can get into heaven by being a great guy, he would have been first, but that's not how you get to heaven. But Dick, three months ago, finally understood. But I was scared to death to talk to him, and it took me till a year before he died to work up the courage. Second reason people, besides being afraid of rejection, they're afraid they don't know all the answers. You don't. I just guarantee you don't know all the answers, neither do I. My favorite way of handling this one, they'll ask a question, they'll say something, well, what about that? I'm like, you know, that is a great question. Can I, can, I can I write that down here? I'm going to write that down. That is a great question or a great problem or whatever. You know, and, and you don't know, that's a great, I'm going to go look that, I, we'll talk again. We don't have to finish this today. But also, what it sometimes does is it keeps people from getting off path. It's like, well, what about bunny rabbits? Do they go to heaven? Oh, that's a good question. Let me write that. What about bunny rabbits? But, you know, right now we're not talking about bunny rabbits. We're talking about me and you and how do we get that. And it kind of, you know, that's a bunny trail, no pun intended. That's a bunny trail, but I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to go find out about bunny rabbits. I don't know the answer there, but it kind of keeps me more on track. So you know what? You don't have to know the answers. 
I have people call me. I had somebody call me right before Christmas asking me a, a, a specific question. I happen to know the answer to that one. If I didn't, I'd try and find out. What do, what do these people believe? Or how come this is different? I don't know. But you know what? It's not going to stop me from interacting. It just makes it so that, hey, I'll get back to you. Great question. And lastly, not only are people afraid and afraid of rejection and afraid they don't know all the answers, I think one of the main reasons is we aren't really convinced that there's only one way. I believe in the heart of a lot of Christians. In fact, the pastor that I grew up with as a child up in Naperville, my dad told me the other day that he has verbally said, well, you know, yes, Jesus died for our sins and all that, but you know, for these really serious followers of, and he names some other religions and stuff, they're, they're going to be just fine too. And my teeth just fell out. I couldn't believe he would say those words. What he was saying is, Jesus is one of the ways. And he maybe is the best way. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he's the only way. He said he's the only way. And if we believe that, and it's not Jesus or, or Jesus and, it's Jesus period, if we really believe that, it's going to help us be more significant in our spending time with people to lead them to the truth. Now, in conclusion, I'm going to talk about your weight right now. No, I'm just kidding. At, at the first of the year, a lot of people get really excited about losing weight. It happens every year. I have friends who do it. I do it sometimes. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. It's a great idea. But what I see in weight loss, I've seen it in my own family. I've seen it in me. What I've seen is people get excited and they're like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. So I got to get on a program. I got to get this special thing going. And, and they get on this special program and they do this special thing and they lose weight and woo, everybody's happy. But what's the problem? They gain it back. Why? Because you can't be on a special program forever usually. It has to become part of your lifestyle. I'm going to lose weight and keep it off because I've changed the way I do food. And my brother, overweight all his life, and he decided to do this, and he's kept it off for 10 years. And it's not because he had a special program, it's because he changed the way he did food in his life. I think evangelism is exactly the same. I have seen people, I have seen organizations, I have seen churches get all excited. We're going to have the campaign and every one of us is going to write down the five people that we know that don't know Jesus and we're all going to pray for them and we're going to put up a big board and in the month of January we're going to, and, and we're going to, and everybody's excited and we go out and we talk about Jesus. And then the campaign's over. And we all go back to normal life of kind of keeping Jesus to ourselves. Well, I would invite you to think this is not a campaign. This is not a special program. When Jesus said pray that 
to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers. He's just saying, would you, would you pray that God would put in the hearts of those who have trusted in Christ a willingness and a desire to be part of his plan of reaching out to others. And they might be your neighbor. They might be your friend. They might be your boss. But people you have natural interactions with, how could I become part of what God is doing in their life to get them from believing a lie about God to believing the truth about God? Pray for them. We've already talked about that. Get educated. You can ask them questions. You can read up. And then we're going to do our part. And we're going to engage in a conversation. Or we're going to bring them to a men's breakfast. Or we're going to bring them to our life group. There are some people that you have, they may never want to come to this building, but they might come to your life group's house. Talk to your life group about that. And can, can we invite this person? I think they might be really open to that. We're going to share a testimony. That's one of the easiest ways to start a conversation. Do you know what God has done for me in the last couple weeks? Do you know what God did for me last? And just talk about God in a way that brings glory to him and heads them in his direction. And maybe this year, as you just open yourself up to what God would have you do in their lives and what part of the vessel, a vessel is just something God uses to get the message through, what part you can play, maybe you will be blessed to see somebody who has believed a lie about the most important thing in life come to know the truth of who Jesus is and how he can bring them into a right relationship with the God of the universe. I pray for me and I'm praying for you that that will be true, not just in January, but all year long that we are vessels to be what God is about in taking people from believing lies to believing the truth. Let's pray. Father God, I know you have talked to me many times about this, that I waver, and I get excited, and then I let it go, and, and then I get pumped, and then I preach a sermon, and then, and then I let it go again. And I pray for me and for all of us that you would embolden us to be people who would just naturally interact with those that we have around us that don't yet believe in Jesus to be part of what you are doing. And maybe, Lord, it'll happen the first time we do it and maybe we will never see it done in their lives. But we know that's not our business, that's your business. But that we are just to be open to how you are going to use us. And I pray that our fears of rejection and we, we don't know all the answers and what if, and all, that we would just lay them at your feet. And that we would pray 
God, for boldness, and we would pray regularly for those that we know don't yet know Jesus, and that you would bless us this year, and we would even be able to share with each other in life group or, or small group or whatever times that you have answered this prayer of somebody having the blinders taken off, and we got to be part of seeing them come to know Jesus. Would you help us to be diligent in that this year? And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.